Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant. Um, This week we're going to be talking about gun control. Um, We are in the middle of a number of serious battles here in America. First, obviously, is abortion, which we have been talking about and will continue to talk about, especially as the battle kind of ramps up in the states. Um, But there's a number of other battlefields also. Um, Education is a huge one. Um, And gun control is also a very big one. The thing is, I think most Christians don't really see issues like gun control as a spiritual issue. They tend to see it as more of a political issue. So my hope here today is to really help my listeners understand how this is a spiritual issue, how many of these rights that were established by the Founding Fathers were done so um, with a Christian worldview in mind for spiritual as well as political reasons, right? And I think a huge part of it is we've really lost a lot of the understanding that the Founding Fathers had of why they established the, the government the way that they did and why, you know, the Bible and why Christianity in particular is really at the root of a lot of the way that they plan the nation to operate and to run. Okay, so let's talk a bit about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is one of a series of checks and balances that was instilled by the founders of the nation to prevent tyranny. Okay, this is, uh, you have to understand the heart of why they made all of these laws, right? Why they built the Constitution the way that they did. So the purpose of the Second Amendment is to make sure that the citizenry always has the ability to effectively um, revolt against the government in case the government becomes tyrannical. And, you know, one way we can think about this is that, you know, what I always tell my kids is that the king of America is a piece of paper, right? The king of America is the Constitution, all right? The Constitution is the final authority, and the Constitution allows for people to fill in various government roles like president for a limited amount of time, right? Um, But the Constitution is forever, right? The Constitution is forever. It can be amended if there's a lot, a, a, a large majority of people that want to amend the Constitution, it has its own ways to do that. Um, but the Constitution itself is the very bedrock of our entire way of life in America, and it, it is the ultimate authority. And the Second Amendment is the Constitution's um, final check and balance, right? In the case that a tyrannical government, meaning a set of people, Um, so violate the Constitution, they so ignore the Constitution, then the Constitution authorizes the citizenry to revolt against that government, right? And in doing so, we are actually not violating the government. Um, We are actually being faithful to the government, meaning the founders specifically gave the citizens of the United States of America the power to revolt because they foresaw that it might become necessary, Right, So they gave us this right because there is a responsibility that we have to make sure that a tyrannical government does not arise and we've been given, we've given authorization to revolt against them if they are just out of control. Okay, And that's the idea. So 
you know, because the number one reason that I hear from Christians, you know, about why, you know, we should not oppose or why we should support gun control is that, you know, we're not ever supposed to revolt against the government, right? And I want to address this argument in detail here, okay? So this argument really comes from Romans 13, right? That's kind of the main text, and this is all about submission to governing authorities, okay? And I'm, I'm going to read it here. It says this. This is Romans 13, 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Okay? All right, so let me pause there. Now, one thing Romans 13 makes clear is the government has the authority of the sword to avenge wrongdoers, okay? So what that is specifically talking about is capital punishment, all right? It's specifically talking about the one who commits evil, that it is the job of the government to to be an agent of God's wrath, meaning God is in heaven and he wants justice on the earth and he authorizes human governments, right, to represent him in fulfilling the demands of justice. And specifically, they have the right to kill, okay? So the whole idea of, you know, I've heard some Christians argue that, you know, as as Christians, we should all be against capital punishment because God is a God of love and he forgives and we should do the same. Um, that is simply unbiblical. That's anti-biblical, okay? And th- the reason is because it's... It, there's not a proper understanding of the role of government, okay? As an individual, I am duty-bound to forgive, all right? If somebody sins against me, I, as an individual, must forgive them. Why? Because I have been forgiven of many more sins, right? That is my personal responsibility as an individual Christian. But the government should not forgive. The government's job is not to forgive. If the government forgives, then it is abrogating its main responsibility, which is to bring justice, right, to be an avenger against the evildoer. So if the government forgives without punishing, then the government is committing an act of injustice, all right? And this happens all the time. And likewise, if I, as a, as a Christian, say I am an authorized member of the government, meaning I'm like a police officer or something like that, okay, or I'm a judge, well, my job is to carry out the government's vengeance on the evildoer. That's my job. Personally, right, I can forgive those who have done wrong to me, okay? But as an agent of the government, I must pursue vengeance and justice for those who have been wronged. That's my job, okay? So that's Romans 13, all right? That's what it's really speaking about, okay? So that's one part of what it's speaking about. The second part is the idea that the that God is the one who installs governments, all right? And this is absolutely really important and true, all right? This is what I think the scriptures mean when they say that God is sovereign, 
okay? The idea that God is sovereign is that he rules over the nations and he raises up kings and he tears them down. That's what he tells Daniel, right, in Daniel chapter 2, right? We see that this is what God does. He raises up kings and he removes them. And that is his prerogative and that's what he does, okay? And with that understanding, every government that exists has been authorized by God, okay? Now, we need to understand a couple things about this. Number one, no government is perfect, all right? So the idea that everything the government does is right because they've been authorized by God is simply not true. The government, governments commit evil all the time, okay? Governments do wrong all the time, okay? So none of this, you know, like divine right stuff. We don't believe in divine, right? Like, you know, God appointed this king and therefore everything this king does is right and you cannot criticize it, right? That's simply not true, okay? But what it does say is that the governments are appointed by God, that he's the one with the ultimate authority to raise them up and tear them down. What that means is if you wage revolution against a God-ordained government, yeah, you're gonna fail, right? Because it's not in your hands. You are not gonna have the power to overthrow that government, Okay, because the government is established by God, um, and you as an individual, you're not going to be able to do it. Now, that being said, part two of this is that sometimes God tears down. Right? He a government is so bad, you know, that God replaces that government. Okay, and you know, I, I should make clear it's not only because the government is so bad. There's many different reasons why God would replace governments. In fact. Um, evil governments are a judgment from the Lord against people groups, right? So a lot of times God installs an evil government as a punishment, you know, for the unrighteousness of the people group and things like that. Um, But the idea here is that sometimes God does tear down a government and he raises up a new one. And that is a revolution, okay? That is a revolution and that's a God-ordained revolution, Okay, and we're going to see this many times. Um, you know, a pretty clear example is in the case of Jehu, right? Um, Jehu is in the army um, when Ahab is king in Israel, and Jezebel, right, his wife, and you know, Ahab and Jezebel are really evil, really evil rulers of Israel. And finally, God has enough. He sends Elisha to anoint Jehu. He anoints Jehu. He blows the trumpet. Right, and he declares that God has anointed Jehu as king, and then Jehu wages war against Jezebel and Ahab. He kills Jezebel, all this kind of stuff, right? And that is a God ordained revolution. That is a good revolution. Okay, so there are cases where the Lord will anoint a new government, all right, and will authorize them to wage war against the old government. And in 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 those cases, we as Christians should join in those revolutions. That's a good revolution to join in, right? Now, I'll be the first one to say it's not so easy to tell which governments are God-ordained, right? I'm not saying that we should go around, you know, proclaiming the Lord has ordained this revolution, um, but I am saying that that does happen, okay? And, you know, much of the church doesn't understand these things because you need prophetic revelation to follow these things, right? There has to be trustworthy prophetic voices, and, um, you know, I I think we're at a place where we're very immature in the prophetic in the church. And so it's hard to, it's hard to, for many Christians to see this actually working, but this is how the Lord works. It's in the Bible, right? The Bible establishes these precedents. 
Okay, so I'm laying out some of these principles because we want to understand if we're talking about in America, how does this relate to gun control? Well, the idea is this, okay? There may be a time where we need to wage war against the government. And because of that, we have been given the Second Amendment, right, to effectively wage war by our founding fathers, right, as a point of wisdom. Now, in the case of America, that would actually not be a revolution against the government. Because like I said, the government, the ultimate authority in America is the Constitution, okay? So if we believe that the government is seriously violating the Constitution in a way that is tyrannical, in a way that is, um, you know, that disqualifies them, then yes, we could wage war against, you know, the president or, you know, whomever as an act not of revolt, right, but of loyalty, right? We're standing in loyalty for the Constitution. And I think this is an important distinction. I think a lot of people would hear this as, oh, you're just justifying revolution, but I'm not. These are important distinctions. And it's because people don't understand the way that the American government works that they make those kinds of arguments, right? Like, um, not that long ago, you know, Gavin Newsom was like, hey, churches, you can't meet here in California because, you know, COVID's too dangerous. When I, when I heard that, I was like, immediately, I was like, no, he does not have the authority to say that. He is in violation of the Constitution. Gavin Newsom does not have the authority to shut down churches, okay, because we have a constitutional right. And I remember I posted something on Facebook, and um, to be honest, I was shocked. Because I got so much pushback from Christians arguing from Romans 13 that we have to obey the government. And I said, no, I am obeying the government, okay? The way our American government is set up is a system of checks and balances. So if you have a lower authority trying to usurp the authority of a higher authority in our government, they are the ones who are out of line, okay? And that's what I said, and, you know, a lot of people got mad at me, um, but Eventually, that's exactly what the Supreme Court ruled, right? It ruled that those governors who tried to shut down churches were totally out of line. And that should have been something that's obvious to Christians, okay? No Christian should have felt like the governor of their state had the authority to shut down their church, okay? The fact that so many Christians believed that that was true means that they don't understand the way American government works. They don't know their own rights, okay? And that's a major problem because we have to understand the way the Constitution and the way it works if we're going to safeguard that which has been passed down to us, right? This is, our generation has to steward what was passed down to us, right? We've been given the wealth, right, and the power and the privilege, all of that has come to us as Americans. But if we don't steward the wisdom, right, that gave birth to those things, we're going to lose it. That's how it works, right? So that's why we have to understand the purpose of things like the Second Amendment, okay? If we were to wage war against, let's say, hypothetically, the Biden administration, and to be 100% clear, I am not saying we should do this right now, okay? I'm saying hypothetically, if we were to wage war, there is a very valid argument that we are doing so not as an act of rebellion and revolt, but as an act of loyalty to a greater authority, which is the Constitution, okay? And that's the that's why the Second Amendment exists, to give us that power. And this is the problem, because if we sacrifice our guns, right, our right to bear arms 
for the sake of having fewer things like school shootings and stuff like that, okay, is it possible that we will have fewer fewer school shootings? Hypothetically, yeah, I think it's possible, okay? Now, I don't necessarily think it's likely, all right? I think that people who are determined to kill others are going to find new creative ways to do it. But yeah, for the especially for the short term, if we get rid of guns or we confiscate guns or something like that, yeah, then there'll be fewer shootings and stuff like that, okay? But the point is, but what else are you giving up? Well, you're giving up your ability to effectively revolt against the government. And that's a big deal. And that should be a really you know, obvious thing to us. We just saw, you know, the Hong Kong um, protests. Those are some of the, the largest protests in the history of the world. But there's a problem. They don't have guns, right? So they don't have guns. They can't effectively revolt against the Chinese government. That's exactly what we saw, you know, um, in Tiananmen Square. I believe that was in the 80s, early 90s. Uh, yeah, 80s. Um, in Tiananmen Square, right, you had a student, you know, protest and... What happened? Well, the government rolled in with tanks <laughs> and the protest was squashed. It's over, right? If you have no guns, you cannot effectively wage war against the government, okay? And that is something that we should hold um, in very high regard, even if we think that that right might cost us some lives in terms of you know crazy people getting their hands on guns and shooting people and stuff like that. Of course, that's a tragedy. Of course, we don't want that. But the idea that we should therefore surrender our right to bear arms, right, or allow major, um, you know, restrictions in guns and stuff like that, um, no, we're giving up something that we cannot afford to give up because governments do have the tendency to become tyrannical. That's exactly the founding belief of our of our of our founding fathers, right? They believed that that. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore, we have to set up all these checks and balances to prevent the government from getting tyrannical and um, being corrupted with power. And this is something that every Christian should recognize the wisdom of, right? Because we see this is exactly what the scripture says is going to happen in the last days, okay? But we don't even have to look to the last days. If you just look throughout history, the greatest evils throughout history have been committed by governments, okay? Like, it wasn't the random mob that would, you know, killed six million Jews in Germany, right? It was a sophisticated government that had disarmed the population, right? Like, that's what we're going to see over and over and over throughout history, and the Bible reaffirms that, okay? So when the Bible, you know, it likens crazy, tyrannical governments to beasts, right? So you're going to see in Daniel... You know, chapter 7, I believe in, in chapter 2 also, he gets visions of these beasts, right? And their kingdoms, their rulers, right? Their governments, their human governments. And they act in crazy ways. When Nebuchadnezzar becomes power hungry, right? Then what happens? God robs him of his sanity and he, he starts to eat grass like a beast. And what it, it's a physical prophetic representation of what he has become, right? When rulers lose their humility, they have no humility that there's a higher power than them. That's when they become um, super tyrannical, really evil, and they do super evil things. Okay, And this is something that every Christian should be aware of, right? Especially because the scripture warns us that there will be a last and end time government that will rise up and persecute the saints and do many evil things. It's warning us, right? It's warning us about 
the the potential danger of these governments, okay? And what we've been given is a safeguard against that in our generation, in our time, okay? By our founding fathers, all right? So this is not something that we should give up easily, all right? As a last point here, you know, one of the other arguments that I hear against this is that, you know, it's not like, well, I hear, let me give, let me give two. Number one, the, the Second Amendment was always just supposed to apply to muskets, right? Like, it's not supposed to apply to AR-15s, right? It was muskets, and it took, you know, two minutes to reload or whatever, and they never intended for, you know, citizens to have the kind of weapons that we have today. And that's, that's such a load of garbage. It's such a load of garbage, right? Muskets were the military weapons of their day, all right? You could you could effectively fight against the government army because they use muskets also, right? Um, the idea that it's just, it, it doesn't say anything about that. It doesn't say that, you know, you could just have muskets and you can't have anything more advanced when the technology advances. It doesn't say anything like that. This is all written in the Constitution that people say because really they have an agenda, Okay, none of those arguments have any kind of validity. All right. The second argument that I hear is, you know, well, it doesn't make any sense because, you know, um, you can't have, you can't wage war against the government with AR-15s, right? If the if the government has, you know, carriers and tanks and drone missiles and all this kind of stuff, and you've got an AR-15, that's not going to work. Right, like so, the whole idea that we can effectively wage war against the government with our AR-15s is already um, diluted. The truth, though, is that in the case of a real, you know, revolution, it wouldn't be a united military against, you know, the citizenry armed with AR-15s. Almost certainly, there would be parts of the military that would also be part of the revolution. Um, not only so, but the reality is, you know, guerrilla warfare using small arms like air fifteens and rifles and such um, is extremely effective. It's extremely effective. It was extremely effective against, you know, the American military in Afghanistan, in Vietnam, in numerous places. So the idea that um, there's no point to the Second Amendment because you know, our rifles are not going to be effective tools of revolt. It's simply not true. They are effective. They're very effective. Um, because in that type of a war, you know, we're not going to be dropping nuclear bombs on cities and stuff like that, right? It will be a lot of guerrilla warfare, a lot of, you know, smaller, you know, skirmishes and things like that. So I, I don't think that argument is very strong at all. Okay. All right. That's it for this episode. I hope that that was helpful for understanding the purpose of the Second Amendment, why we as Christians should support it, not just because we think it's wise politically, but also because there's a spiritual element to it that is important for us. And I'm going to go more in depth into that in the future. All right. God bless.